Hey, I'm Alex. And I'm Brandon. And welcome to Living Electric. We're both content creators and electric vehicle enthusiasts. And through this podcast, we hope to share our experience with owning electric vehicles and help you join the electric life. All right, welcome to episode nine of Living Electric. We're here with special guest Ken from EV Revolution Show. He's got over 20,000 subscribers on YouTube, over a million views on his channel. So happy to have him here today. Uh, do you want to kind of give us a brief uh, brief intro to what you do on your channel and, and how you're kind of driving EV adoption? For sure. Well, again, thanks, Alex and Brandon, for having me on. I appreciate it. Um, it's good to be talking to fellow people who are passionate about the EV revolution as well and what's going on. So yeah, I started my, my own channel. Uh, it'll be three years April now. So I've done over 155, 156 episodes, something like that now on the video side. I also do audio podcasts where I've done, I don't know, 25, 26, something like that. And uh, do the same thing for the audio where I try to get a guest on, on a Zoom call or something. And the guest could be anywhere in the world. That makes it easy. Um, for the YouTube show, I originally actually started a YouTube channel with uh, Trevor Page doing the Model 3 Owners Club. So that's how I originally mm, got into the okay. YouTube thing back in 2016. And my motivator was the, uh, the Model 3 reveal. I watched that the next day, not live, but the next day early in the morning, saw an affordable EV from a brand that I only uh, only looked at before as a very high-end luxury brand going, hmm, this is something I could afford. And at the time, I was also reading the newspapers here in Ontario uh, about some EV incentives and rebates that they had. At the time, it was around 11000 that you could get off. And I'm going, hmm, money off a car and Tesla's coming out with this lower price model that is going to be more, you know, more reasonable. When I add it all up, the numbers started to look good. So I put my my thousand dollars down and got really interested in searching everything on the internet about Tesla and the Model 3 and ran across Trevor. And uh, he had started a forum and I reached out to him. He's local here in Toronto area. And I said, hey, do you want to start like a YouTube channel and try to build a community and follow it? And he said, yeah. So we started doing the Model 3 Owners Club and we grew that to... Uh, I helped them grow that to about 45,000, almost 50,000 subs before I I wanted to actually continue with um, my own outreach because to me, the AV environment is is much more than one brand or one region, one country, right? It's 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 got to be sure. a global phenomenon, as you guys know. So uh, Trevor and I are still good buddies. We collaborate a lot, but he's very passionate about Tesla and that's his messaging. And that's great. We Our objectives are both the same. We want to get I want to get butts into EV seats, so to speak. Um, so there's all kinds of different ways to do it, more creative and entertaining. And I take more of a kind of a new style. I, I look at my approach as, you know, like the average Joe consumer, you know, uh, what's, what's, how can it really, how can an EV impact and benefit somebody's life? And, and in a lot of cases, it can't still today. There's not enough choice, not enough prices are high. There's all kinds of reasons, but you know, um, I see you guys just did a show about what's coming up in 2022 or this year, and it, I did one too recently. So it's just mind boggling the number of EVs that are coming out. And that's what we need for consumers, more choice, more infrastructure. And that just helps us to be empowered to get the message out. Yeah, it's it's pretty exciting what's happening in 2022. I mean, like 2020, I always thought was like that magic year of EVs. <laughs> and now I think it's actually 2022. <laughs> I would agree. It's, yep. it's crazy. It's almost like every day you turn around and there's some new unveiling, there's new electric vehicle opportunities and options out there for consumers. Mm -hmm. So that's really cool. I was, I was going to ask you, Ken, so it seems like the model three was the EV that really got you interested in electric cars. Were you always interested in EVs or was that kind of the beginning point for you? 
that was probably more substantial of a beginning point for me. I had followed EVs a little bit. I knew of, you know, the Nissan Leaf. I had seen the Mitsubishi iMeves, um, you know, the Volts. So kind of the plug-in hybrid approach. I, I had been experienced to that, but never really followed it that much. My wife and I did investigate EVs back in, um, I think it was the the earlier part of 2016. You know, we looked at the, the original Kia Soul and some of the offerings that were out there, but, you know, 100 miles-ish or so, you know, 150, 160 kilometers on a good day, uh, you know, isn't that attractive for the price point, especially at that time. Um, so it was something I just kind of kept on the back burner and I was, I'll continue to watch the industry and see what happens. And of course, as, as we all know here, uh, and I think most of the listeners um, and watcher viewers watching this know that, you know, Tesla really with the Model 3 reveal kind of was a major tipping point for the EV landscape, right? It, it shone a light onto, onto a market that most of the OEMs didn't really have a lot of efforts into at that time, right? In 2016, mm-hmm. you know, when, when you get, 130,000 people putting money down on a car unseen, you know, until the, until the live broadcast, you know, that's unheard of, right? I, I compare that to, I think the closest thing was maybe the 64 and a half Ford Mustang where they got around 60,000 or so reservations for that. But that was when people could see the, see a, a car, you know, up mm-hmm. on a stand or something. So yeah. to get that, and then, you know, another 300,000 or 400,000 reservations on top of it, I think it shook up the auto industry. And it proved that an affordably, a well-priced, a well-engineered and, and thought out and all the benefits of charging and range c- could be exciting for the public. And, you know, you mentioned, Brandon, about all these unveilings and things that are coming out. You know, it takes automakers about five to six years to get from, you know, something on a napkin to something rolling off a production line. That's yeah. kind of their phase. So it, we're at that point, right? 2016, 2017, 2018, these... OEMs were woken up or shake, shaken up by Tesla saying, gee, we better get into this game because look how many people are actually, you know, looking at an EV back then, never mind what, what they're looking at today. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned, it, it, I feel like every time we have a guest on the show, there's always something that's mentioned that like just blows my mind that you're right. You know, like when Model 3 was unveiled back in 2016 and it has been, you know, seven or, you know, six, six, seven years now. So I guess it is time for these vehicles to be unveiled. So that makes Absolutely. more realistic sense to me now. <laughs> it does. Yeah. You know, we get a lot of people, uh, I do a lot of outreach. I'm part of the equivalent to your EVA, uh, EVAA, I think it is down, Electric Vehicle Association of America. We have mm-hmm. Electric Vehicle Society of Canada. I'm a member of that. I'm also a member of the local Tesla, because I think you're, you're going to want to know what I drive today. So I'm part of that. Uh, but I do a lot of public outreach stuff, community outreach, speaking. I, I go on radio once every couple of weeks to our local radio, and they get me on talking oh, wow. about everything. They actually, actually want me to talk about cars in general, but I always bring it <laughs> back to EVs. I'm their EV guy. I've been on CBC, the national to do a spot and stuff. So I I'm out there trying to educate. And, you know, I do always say that I think the Model 3 reveal was was kind of like the iPhone moment for EVs, mm-hmm. right? It really, because again, you know, Elon, he's a smart guy. Uh, you know, I really appreciate what he does, but he's a businessman as well. And he's, you know, he that's he's got to make a dollar doing this and they are now. But he didn't reinvent an EV. He didn't reinvent the vehicle, a car, right? It was already there. He just packaged it to provide a better user experience or a better driver experience and, you know, adding in some affordability. And that's what Steve Jobs did to the, to the phone, right? We had, 
maybe you guys are younger than I am, but I remember <laughs> the Palm Trios and the, the Blackberries oh, yeah. and all these kind yep. of devices. So we kind of had smartphones back, you know, when the iPhone original came out. So it wasn't a new per se technology, but it was the way that that user experience could be had. And the, the, the application store was, of course, what really drove the iPhone, because now you could do, instead of just making a call and do an email and send some text, you could do almost anything on that thing. <laughs> and, you know, I think that's what Elon did to the EV industries. He really helped shake it up by bringing something that was an easy user experience uh, and a very nice user experience and bringing sort of that uh, affordability factor. So that's kind of my what I talk about my EV tipping point, that's kind of one of them. Uh, I have another one if you want me to get into it later, but yeah. um, that, that we've seen. Um, well, I'll, I'll say it now. To me, last year's Ford F-150, that was the second big, I think, yep. TV yeah. tipping point, right? Because that now you're taking something that was kind of periphery and fringe and you're bringing it into the heart of the workforce, right? Be it, mm -hmm. be it you know, I'm in Canada, so... You know, we're very similar to the U.S. as far as the marketplace goes. SUVs and pickups are the number one vehicles here in Canada as well as in the U.S. In Europe, it's different. You know, they have a much more uh, larger variety. China, of course, all these other countries that, that are buying lots of vehicles. So their needs are different. But here, the F-150 reigns supreme as well. When you take a, a Halo product, not a Halo product, but a, a sacri sacrilegious product like the F-150 is, you know, 44 years, I think the number one vehicle, best-selling vehicle um, that Ford has, you know, and you electrify it, you've got to really know what you're doing. I mean, they shook the landscape with the Mustang, but the F-150, like, no, that's, you know, you can't be touching that. <laughs> and when they, when they really go full tilt at it, to me, that wake that now shines a light on a different marketplace and a different consumer and buyers that mm -hmm. maybe would not have thought about an EV before. And, you know, we're seeing that Ford is successful. They've got more pre-orders than they can, you know, can get out the door for the next couple of years. They're ramping up. They're going to ramp up more production, which is all good for us. So absolutely. Definitely. Yeah, I feel the same way about the F-150 for all the reasons you just mentioned. <laughs> it's it's very much like that when it EVs kind of break into that mainstream, like, okay, this is the top selling vehicle. Now we're making an electric. Um, do you think it's the, do you think the Mach-E was kind of a like trial run for Ford to say, can we make just a normal SUV before we bring it to the F-150? Uh, I think, I think it was a bit of a trial run. You're right. Certainly from a, um, you know, retooling a plant and getting the production process going, you know, dealing mm. with the battery and all those a different supply chain, and different metrics, because you've got, you know, you've got less moving parts, right, in an EV, especially in all electric than you do in an internal combustion. So, so there's a lot of changes that they had to go to on the back end to get that product out. But again, you know, they, they wanted to launch an all EV, a first, you know, homegrown developed EV. They had some electrified vehicles before, right? Mm -hmm. I believe they had um, the Focus and some of the mm -hmm. others that were out there, the C-Max plugins and stuff. So they had some stuff going, but they're full ground up, you know, and to take again, a marquee brand like the Mustang, you know, everybody knows Ford for their Mustang. They're either gonna know it for the pickup or the Mustang or both. Yep. And to electrify it, it was really a bit of a test, but it was really kind of a placeholder to say, look, we're getting into this game and we're serious about it. Because I, mm -hmm. I do get lots of comments and I talk to people that say, you know, no, Tesla's really the only one doing something. Everybody else is kind of just kind of blowing smoke. And I said, no, not really. I mean, they're committing billions and billions of dollars to retooling 
you know, a, a contracting supply chain, uh, all this kind of stuff to investments that they are going to have to see a return on that investment at some point, because mm -hmm. they're, after all, automakers are a business, they're not charity yep. organizations. <laughs> so they're only doing this because they know they're going to, they're going to get the money back in those future sales. So when you see these big companies like Ford, GM, FC, or Stellantis, and the others that are putting big money into and, and, you know, talking about strategic plans for this decade and beyond that heavily include electrification. I mean, GM was the first company to say by 2035, I, I believe it's either 2030 or 2035, you can correct me, but, you know, no more ice fees, like we're stopping it. So that's a big deal for a hundred year old company, right? Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, like kind of just going back to like the F-150 Lightning unveil. Alex and I did a live stream on YouTube of that, and mm -hmm. it was incredible to watch the um, internet's reaction to the F one fifty Lightning. <laughs> like, I, I feel like the Mach E at first was kind of like, "Oh no, they shouldn't have called it a Mustang." I we've driven both performance versions of it, and it it's a Mustang. Like, it, it handles like Absolutely. one. It's a great Beautiful. vehicle. Mm -hmm. um, but it was so cool to me to see how welcoming everybody was of taking that iconic nameplate F one fifty. And electrifying it, let alone the lightning nameplate, because that already mm. existed with a uh, a more right. a performance oriented version. I think in the nineties, I remember it well. 2000s. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, part of the SVT, I believe, group, right? Yes. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's it's pretty cool to see how open people are to that to take those nameplates, and I think Ford is just going to keep doing it. I, I totally agree. And, you know, you asked earlier about some of my background. I am a car guy going back. So, you know, I got my first okay. car when I was 16. And as soon as I got my license, I, I got some, you know, a Chevy Vega. It was my first you know, beater car because it was either that or the public transit or riding my bike. And I'm going, <laughs> you know, in Canada in the winter, I'm not riding, riding my bike. So no, you know, yeah. I'm, getting, cool. I'm getting whatever I can get and never look back. You know, I've had some Camaros. I've had, you know, Fords with big 351s and all this kind of stuff, you know, got into chipping cars in the 2000s and all that, that import scene. I did some of that. So, so I, I'm not an expert, but I've been around cars a long time and have many different cars. And um, I can appreciate that passion. And as you said, it, it, it absolutely is really nice to see people that are passionate about those marquee brands when an OEM decides to electrify them. And they're very positive in that. Because I believe Ford had some initial backlash on the Mustang. There were the mm -hmm. diehards that mm -hmm. were going, wait, you can't touch this, right? This is a different vehicle. But I think they're all starting to see. And one of the things we do, and I'm sure you run across it, when you're out talking to people, you know, we, we do things like car shows where we'll go into this uh, car uh, car show that's all hot rods and import, you know, imports and all this kind of different kind of vehicles. And we'll, we'll go in there with a cluster of EVs and these guys will come up, why are you guys here? And we just start talking about torque. What do you know? You got 400 foot pounds and blah, 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 zero to 16, four seconds. They go, what? Really? Like, <laughs> you know, never, don't talk about environment. Don't talk about total cost of ownership because that's not the right audience. They're the yeah. gearheads, right? I get it. So, you know, mm -hmm. it's all about framing it and positioning EVs in the right realm that makes uh, a significant context for those listeners. For sure. Um, so you said you, I guess, day two reservation owner or reservation holder for the Model 3, right? Day two. But, you know, <laughs> my, my story is a little different because I actually never carried out on that day two reservation. So, really? And okay. The, the reason for it. it is because 
um, in Canada. So it's interesting because Trevor and I actually went down to Fremont for the first delivery. So we were there in July of 2017 on site. Wow. We were part of the crowd there, uh, part of the media that were there, although other YouTubers that were there um, was covering that. And it was exciting. I got, I got very excited. And so I definitely wanted a bottle three, but what had happened here in Ontario is we knew in 2018, when Tesla Model 3s were starting to be delivered in the late spring, so May, June of 2018 timeframe, they were only delivering the top spec, right? That's that's what mm -hmm. we see from all the OEMs. Yep. They come out with a model and it's a top spec first and they roll back the lower trims. I was only, I was holding out for a base model. Like I wasn't looking at an affordability at a top spec. Um, and that, that was all that was coming for the next few months. And at the same time, we were going through uh, coming up to a provincial election where the polling was showing that the, the government was going to change away from a government that was currently promoting EV incentives of $14,000 here in Ontario to a new government that was going to promote zero. He said, day mm -hmm. one, he's cutting anything that has the word green in it. And Sure enough, in September, he did. So knowing that, that, I, that we were going to lose that incentive, um, I didn't want to lose $14,000. You know, I, I'm being selfish. So I said, well, wh what else can I get then? Um, I, I'm really wanting to get an electric vehicle because we have a couple of ICE cars. So it's a perfect opportunity to try, right? Get rid of one. I looked around. I tried everything available. And I ended up getting a 2018 40 kilowatt Nissan Leaf. And I loved it. I ran that for go. two years. About 45,000 kilometers or so, you can figure out the mileage. I had zero issues, no problems. It was a great vehicle. Um, but I had always wanted the Model 3, specifically because of the range and the infrastructure that supports uh, the Tesla environments today, Tesla vehicles today. Um, and my job is when we're not locked down with COVID, and you know, pre-COVID pre and hopefully post-COVID, I'm in sales. So I have a fairly big Southern Ontario territory to cover. Um, mm. You know, I could go to Ottawa or Windsor or up, you know, mid North Ontario and a 40 kilowatt lease is going to struggle in the winter with those kind of, you know, mileage, you know, to have to really multiple charge. So even though I love the vehicle, the long-term vision for me was I wanted something with the most range that I could get. And, you know, up until like very, very recently, you know, Tesla still is kind of the king of range. Uh, for most of their vehicles. So I ended up getting a Model 3 in September of last year, of 2020. Um, and oh, nice. uh, so okay. it's been a year now, just over a year I've had my Model 3. So as part of my channel, I, I, you know, I do all the regular EV stuff with news and car reviews. I'm also a member of AJAC, which is the Automobile Journalists Association of Canada. So I take what I do part-time seriously as a journalist. So, um, you, you know, YouTube is just the medium that I use because it's an inexpensive medium to use. Um, once you got all the gear, as you guys know, <laughs> the gear yeah. kills you, I tell you. It's, it's a yeah, lot it of does. stuff out there. But once you're set up, you know, it's not so bad. It's a lot of time, but um, YouTube's a good medium to use. So I, I take that approach versus a print or a digital medium that uh, a lot of the other auto journalists do. So I am part of that circle where I get invited to OEM launches and, you know, sometimes I get lucky and they fly me down as part of a team, but I, I'm involved in that business side, the B2B side of it too. I could go to car shows on press days and things like that. So that's the approach that I bring to my channel is, is that outlook. And then with my Model 3, I wrap in a bit of a Tesla uh, angle where I talk about my experiences, what my three, and, and I do promote some accessories with it because um, I do get some companies that say, hey, do you want to 
promote this stuff for us if we send you something i said sure why not so if it makes sense for sure. you know because as, as you guys know there's lots of stuff out there so i do a little <laughs> bit of that with my with the model three stuff um but again my prime uh, effort on the channel is the the continuous education and awareness of electric vehicles that i try to bring from a global from a bit more of a global perspective not just canada and the u.s even though the majority of my uh, of uh, listening bases in those two countries, but in Europe, I have a big following in Europe as well. So the only company, the only uh, country, excuse me, I don't really focus a lot on is China. I do talk about it once in a while, but as you guys know, there's so much going on there. Yeah, it's forty percent of yeah. the global plug-in markets in China, and they've got dozens and dozens and dozens of models and manufacturers there. Right, it's a big deal, and I just don't have the bandwidth to really dig down deep on that as well. For sure. I'm curious, switching from the Nissan Leaf to the Model 3, mm -hmm. what's one thing you appreciated about the Model 3 when you switch, and what's one thing you miss from your Leaf? <laughs> Great question. <laughs> uh, well, the range, in instantaneous, the range doubled. So okay. that was that was a no-brainer. Um, uh, that's the one thing. And the one thing I miss, I do have to admit that the, the ride in the Leaf was, in my opinion, better from a comfort level so it, okay. it won't it wouldn't track of course something you know yeah. better than a model three but from an everyday you know we have a lot of crappy roads around here potholes and things like that so from an everyday drivability i found the leaf to be more comfortable especially for passengers and quieter it had a combination mm. of both um but i do love my model three I would like it to be a little quieter, but I blare my music so loud it doesn't really matter. It's not that bad. I don't want people to think that it's like a driving a trucker. It's not. Yeah. But it's yeah. noticeable as you guys have been in different vehicles, like you mentioned the Maquis. That was a super quiet car. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. You know, so compares. I just did was in San Diego for the Ionic uh, Five uh, stuff by Hyundai, and wow, we were driving in in like one of the worst you know storms in the California coast that for a while that day that we actually took it out us Canadians. And it was very quiet, you know, and very, very, so much different. Uh, but I ended up changing the suspension. That's one of my episodes is I changed out the stock suspension mm. on the Model 3 to something a bit softer and aftermarket gotcha. that's out there just for me because I wanted something a little bit, especially for passengers. So that's the, that's probably the, the, the negative that I would say about it. But a lot of people are fine with it. So it really is a personal choice, right, as far as Definitely. that goes. But yeah, yeah. hands down, uh, it's just a fun car to drive and, you know, again, EVs are simple. Just get in and go. Don't mm -hmm. worry about all the other stuff that people talk about and this and that. Just get in, especially from a daily driver, like plug it in and then night and then get up in the morning and go and don't worry about it. And that's yeah. where I'm at. So do you still have both cars? No. So we trade in. Yeah, we ended up uh, trading in the Leaf. We actually sold okay. it. I sold it privately because Tesla is notoriously terrible for used cars. <laughs> trade in values. They are pretty bad. Do you guys yeah. know that or not? But uh, I, they I are used bad. to work for Tesla. So Did you? okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm not blaming them because. Oh no! I, I actually I lived through Model Three Day, the reservation day. Did you? And that was oh my the, goodness! One of the highlights of my life so far. So. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. Yes, got but I a few I battle wounds for that. Oh, it was it was a fun day. It was, I think, like a 15-hour day, but it was great. Yeah. We had pizza, so. 
<laughs> nice. Yeah, nice. yeah. There's pizza but, involved. Yeah, I mean, they don't have to be the best for trading values because you know, if you won't take it, then there's another guy behind you that will. So yeah. it's one of those mm-hmm. you know good problems to have. But so I was lucky that I was able to actually sell it back to the dealer that I bought it from, who was a very one of one of the very pro electric Nissan dealers in the Greater Toronto area. Uh, and you know, I said this is the price I want. I think it's fair for both of us. You can mark it up, and I can get more than what Tesla's. And I sold it back. And then we then I also traded in. So we had three cars. So we went from uh, the Leaf and two ICE vehicles to the Model Three and one ICE vehicle. So so we ended up cutting one car off as well. And my motto is educating you know minds one tailpipe at a time. So I tried to lead by example as getting rid of another tailpipe in our family. So so we do have a small Nissan Versa, which is a great little runabout that our daughter primarily uses. Uh, but our daily driver is the Model 3, and I'm 99% driving it. Um, it was a year September, right? So where do we at? 15 months, and I've got 33,000 kilometers and climbing. Wow. You know, it's wow. just one of the things with EVs, right? I think you guys know, you just want to get in and drive the thing. Oh, I'll go yes. get milk. I'll go to the store. <laughs> right. We're out of bread? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just such a pleasant experience. So even in, in win- you know winter weather and that kind of stuff, so. So yeah, it gets driven a lot. When we did, we did uh, do a, a long trip as well. I noticed you guys talked about some long uh, trip uh, EVing in uh, one of your shows, and you know, and again, I wanted to try it. So uh, in the Leaf, I wouldn't have been able to. Would have been much more challenging in a forty kilowatt Leaf. So again, you got to know the limits of what you're getting into. Um, as a secondary car, the Leaf, I think that forty kilowatt for most people is a great. But as you know, we've kind of advanced a little bit more beyond that range now in most of the vehicles today. Uh, but we did a trip to the East Coast of Canada in August of last year and back on the Model 3. And it was just plug the destination in and let the let the computer tell you where to stop and for how long. And it works mm-hmm. like a charm. You know, it's it's really, as you know, Brandon worked for Tesla. It really is good. And that's one of the unique benefits that Tesla still brings to the marketplace is the ability to have that guidance because they own their own network and they monitor their own network so they can bring that technology in. Um, it's hard to get that with other vehicles. You, you do, you can, um, but they, you know, everybody asks, well, you know, Hyundai, like, why don't you show, you know, all the stations and stuff? They said, well, we can show you stations, but we, we, it's going to be hard for us to tell you, you know, uh, which one to stop at and for how long, because we can tell you what your state of charge will be when you get there if you program that as your destination. But whereas Tesla can take it another step because they own all that infrastructure and, and monitor it. And they can tell you, yeah, when you get there, you'll have four stalls open and you'll sit there for 18 minutes and then you'll be able to, and the car tells you you're ready to go, right? So so it's a unique experience that they, they're the only ones that can offer that today because of that infrastructure that they have. And as you know, Brandon, working for them, if you build it, they will come. That that mantra that Elon did was exactly right. That's what they needed to get over that that curb. So so they still have competitive advantage there. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. My my main job for my day to day full time job is with a company called Chargeway. I'm not sure if you've oh, heard yeah. of us. Yeah, yeah. I'm the mm-hmm. I'm the database manager on the team, and nice. I'm constantly monitoring supercharger expansions, and it's insane it's like every day there's four or five new ones in the u.s and it's like yeah yeah can, can us non-tesla drivers get some of that like yeah. well, <laughs> they, day, have op- they have opened it up but i do get a lot of yeah. questions you know i think probably 
if you take, I think range anxiety is almost a thing of the past. I say almost because it's still dependent on where you live, right? There's some, you know, I'm not sure how Ohio is, but I know upper New York state, there's still some barren, you know, wastelands there, right? And, and other places like in Canada, you go above, you know, where all the urban populations are, it can be very iffy to find a charge anywhere. But barring that, you know, um, there are more and more non-Tesla entities building out really good charging networks. You know, you guys have a lot with EC, sorry, EA and, and EVgo and a bunch of others that are going, you know, state to state. You've got gas providers like Shell now saying we're going to throw them and get, you know, in a lot of gas stations. We've done that in Canada with our Petro Canada. We've got a coast to coast network, a non-Tesla network with them, CCS and Chatamo. We've got Electrify Canada going to be coast to coast within the next three or four years as they roll out. Um, so there are other uh, alternatives to people that maybe don't want to get a Tesla and need to understand that there is a good charging environment. Um, I was talking to somebody um, a couple of weeks ago and they were saying, well, a lot of the analysts feel that we need more charging stations. It was, it was a Canadian specific conversation saying that, you know, the government really needs to step up and, and, you know, provide thousands more charging stations in order to promote EV adoption, because we're so far behind the rest of the world. And I said, well, maybe if you look at the numbers per capita, we might be behind, but flip it the other way. You know, if I asked you two guys, where do you both have an EV? today mm -hmm. you guys yeah. yeah okay i've got a model three and brandon's got a they've got an id4 right now nice. also chevy oh, bolt good for you and a bolt excellent yeah. Bo sure. all good great working on bolts. trading in right working yeah, on yes. trading in the bolt <laughs> well, <laughs> so, well potentially both. we'll get to that yeah, yeah. a new yeah. battery pack though and you know new I, I, I actually did turn that down i'm waiting on you a buyback did. yeah oh, just because okay. I, I i'm ready for a new ev <laughs> the bolt's but, been a fantastic car but i'm ready to experience another one <laughs> i hear you I yeah. hear you. Um, yeah. But, you know, I, I, and I, I am assuming then that probably the both of you guys charge most of your your charging time is spent at home, right? You probably mm -hmm. have level mm -hmm. two. If not, you're using a 110, but looks like you guys both have level twos at home of some sort. Um, so, and I would guesstimate that probably the vast majority of your charging experience is done at home versus yeah. a third party. And so that's the conversation I flipped is, well, maybe numbers wise, we might not be there per capita based on Norway or other countries. But the thing is, most people can charge at home. So take away people that live in condos and that have houses that are, you know, don't have garages or anything like that. They have to have street parking like in really urban. So take all that out of the equation. In Canada, you know, the number for the U.S. is probably going to be 100, 10 to 100 times more. But in Canada, we have about 8 million single detached homes, single family detached home, homes in, okay. in here. So to me, that means roughly 8 million people or so, take away a little bit of that, have the ability to probably get a level two or at least have a plug to something externally, right, to be able mm -hmm. to charge. So that's a huge audience. You know, we only have about, I think, maybe two to 300,000 EVs today on the roads in Canada. So we have a long way to go. We have a large um, consumer group to go after if we just even focus the messaging there because most of the people, once they get an EV, if they have the ability to charge at home, they will charge at home for most of their needs. And when you get a vehicle today that gives you 300 miles, 475 you know, to 500 kilometers of daily range, even you know uh, 200 miles in the winter or 350 kilometers in, up here, that's you know virtually more than most people need for a daily daily use case. I think it's you know forty miles, sixty kilometers, or whatever it is the average. So chances are 
you know, the, the people get in their head, oh, yeah, we need more charging infrastructure. But the reality is you kind of don't for most of what you're doing. And if you're going to grandma's in, you know, Vancouver once a year and you're really worried about it, then rent a car and do it, you know, and you know, <laughs> yeah. do it for that two weeks, you know, or whatever it's going to be if you really want to do that. So there are a lot of ways to, I think, present the information to consumers um, in a factual way, because I'm not spinning things, you know, like a national choir or something, I'm, I'm being honest, but, you know, there's one way to look at it, then there's another way to look at something and the, give people that balance so they can make informed and educated decisions. Yeah, no, that that, that absolutely makes sense. I, I think the way that Alex and I approach things are very similar. You know, we, we provide the facts, we educate as clearly as we can to consumers and everyday drivers and help mm -hmm. them feel comfortable with what they're looking into. And I, I think a lot of it is that you almost have to get out of that mindset that you are going to be doing those 500 mile trips every day, when in reality, you might only do that once or not even every year. That's right. Yeah. So if you kind of reevaluate where you're driving and like how often you drive, EVs are very realistic for, I would say, the majority of individuals. Mm -hmm. Totally agree. Absolutely. That's a great way to look at it um, because you're right. And if there's that one guy that says, no, 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 you know, I do drive 300 miles a day because, mm -hmm. you know, that's what I need to do. All right. Then maybe you should wait a little bit. You know, you're, you're in Green Bay, Wisconsin, and you need 300 miles a day in the dead of winter. Okay, maybe you should wait for a little bit longer till we get something that can handle that, you know, that range. Maybe buy a Lucid Air or something. Yes, but, uh, I was going to say, yeah. You know, there are things. But it, the reality is, you're right, it's not for everybody. But understanding what what their needs are and mapping mm -hmm. that into what's there. the the I think the biggest barrier to adoption now, because price is slowly coming down. You mentioned you have an ID4 branded. To me, that's probably the best value EV here in Canada, and I would argue the U.S., from a price point for what you get as a nice package. Mm -hmm. And then you factor in some incentives. I don't know if you guys have state incentives in Ohio. Um, you still, you can, I know there's Fed tax credit, but do you have any yep. other local incentives? No, no, no. Oh. And, and in fact, they actually just tacked on an annual registration fee for EVs. <laughs> of course, <laughs> so. because you're not paying road tax, right? Yep. For the gas. So yep. they're going to, yeah, I've seen that spin. That's unfortunate, but you know, they'll wake up. Uh, but the reality is there are other places, of course, uh, especially in Canada, like BC and Quebec, which are the two provinces leading EV adoption here in Canada that have very lucrative um, incentives. So you look at something like an ID4, you can get out the door to a, to the base pro model we have only two trims here for, you know, in BC, let's say in Quebec for, you know, into the, the low 40s, if not the high 30 Canadians. So, you know, you guys yeah. can do the math there. Um, so and that's a pretty compelling vehicle for that price. So oh, yeah. there are a lot, you can spend as much as you want, but if you really <laughs> want to, you know, conserve some cash, I think there are some very good options that are out today, which are only going to get better. So mm -hmm. barring the price, I think, as you guys said, the education and awareness part is probably the number one barrier to adoption. People just don't know. They just don't understand yes. how easy an EV can fit into your life if it makes sense. Mm -hmm. For sure. So we teased the uh, the Bolt buyback. Yeah. I'm curious what what EV do you recommend uh, 
for Brandon to replace his <laughs> bolt. Well, well be, before, Ken, sorry, before you answer yeah. that, I do want to just let you know the Ionic 5 is up on my list, and you Beautiful. mentioned that nice. it was very quiet to drive, so I'm, I'm pleased to hear that, but I'm, I'm yeah. looking forward to hearing what you have to say. <laughs> you know, it's it's an excellent machine. The good thing, Brandon, is as we, we started talking earlier in the show, is that the amount of EVs, new EVs are going to be hitting, hopefully hitting showroom floors this year, you know, pending chip shortages and logistic challenges and, and supply chain issues, you know, with batteries and everything as well. Um, we knew we'd hit this point eventually, right? We're going to dip a little bit and then go back up again. It's just natural. Um, there's a lot more choice for you to, to, to select in that type of a secondary vehicle. That's what it sounds like. Um, you may be looking for, uh, you know, the, the Onyx 5 is a great vehicle. I mean, they've, Hyundai is priced that at the right points here in, in Canada as well in the U.S. Here in Canada, like in Ontario, it qualifies for our, for our a national rebate, which is five thousand at every trim level, which is almost wow. unheard of, right? Uh, Tesla just moved the Model Three out of it, you know, in in uh, in Canada. The standard range plus now is over the threshold, so it doesn't qualify anymore. Mm. It's only the I don't know if you guys have it, but we have the one hundred and fifty one. 150 kilometer software locked version yeah, and that was only that brought in <laughs> to meet that federal mandate of a minimum mm -hmm. msrp and i think in the year and a half i think there might be six or ten people in all of canada that have bought that model because nobody's wow. really buying them it's just there right now that they've moved the standard range plus out of that that was the only model that really fit it might slow down some canadian sales but I say some because it's just such a big book that they've got now, right? Order book, it's unheard of. Um, but there are a lot more EVs that now can take advantage of those rebates. So, you know, the Onyx 5, I mean, I like the new Bolt EUV. I really, really mm -hmm. like the new Bolts. I mean, the Achilles heel is just their fast charging, in my opinion. Everything else is solid about it. It's just, if you're going to do a lot of road tripping, you know, hitting, hitting the wall at 70, 72, you know, whatever kilowatts. Um, it, it's just, if you're okay with that, then you're okay with that. Tremendous value, right? Um, you know, for that. Um, and, and it's got all the other pluses. The Ionic 5, I think, is right in, in that wheelhouse. You talk, you've already got an ID4. Um, you know, the, the South Koreans are making and have made excellent evs i mean mm -hmm. you know their history is taking existing platforms you know like the soul and like the nero um and like the uh, the original ionic and the kona and taking those platforms and electrifying them and they've done fantastic jobs with those vehicles right the kona is one of the most efficient vehicles out there when you look at the mm -hmm. numbers so now they're they've got this new platform right the gmp platform and they're able to to now have a ground-up design and really you know bring much more density and much more features to that platform to the punch. So, you know, the Ionic 5, the EV6, I'm super stoked about those two products. I don't, we don't have pricing yet uh, here in Canada and I haven't seen it in the US yet on the EV6. Yeah, not yet. Not Hopefully yet, soon though. Yeah, I'm anticipating it's going to be a little higher than the Ionic 5, but I don't know, like I don't have facts. I'm just, that's what I'm hearing. Mm -hmm. So we'll wait and see. But, you know, I think those are two really solid vehicles to watch for, um, especially in that if you're if you're looking at that class, um, you know, but even the all the other premium guys like BMW is ramping up like crazy. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, almost every week there's another IX something coming out, yeah. <laughs> you know, and yeah. of course, a Mercedes with with all the different models that are coming at the higher end. They just talked about their concept vehicle today. Mm -hmm. um, so so you've got you've got choice there. Um, you know, Genesis is a higher brand, higher dollar 
brand, a premium brand for, for HMC. So, you know, that might be priced out of that wheelhouse and somebody like yourself is looking to replace a Bolt. Um, I don't know what Nissan, I, I do. In fact, they have come out with US pricing, right? The Nissan Aria? Uh, yes, I believe so. Yeah, I think it starts at forty-five or forty-six thousand dollars. Forty-five. And for, yeah. And for you guys, the Ionic Five starts at what? Is it under forty? Uh, Is it the yeah. thirty-eight uh, nine or something like that? I think thirty-nine eight. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I believe so. All right. So that could be a comparable vehicle. I'm sure the Aria will have thermal management and all the stuff that you know Nissan should have had a few years ago, <laughs> but didn't. But you know, we get why. So yeah. there's that. Um, I don't know if you had a chance to look at the Polestar 2. I thought it was a great vehicle. The single motor variant is really efficient and pretty good range. Yeah, we, we actually had a chance to rent one from uh, Enterprise when we went to Los Angeles. Uh, Alex <laughs> nice. and my husband and I, we were there for a media yeah. event. Nice. And um, we had one for four days. And that was it was a fun car. <laughs> yeah. It is a fun car. Yeah, it was very top of the line one. So it wasn't the front wheel drive, but yeah. Um, and, and you know, blast. for again and for something that's built by a chinese company you know in china i believe i don't think they're they're all built in china and then shipped globally my understanding um it's a very high quality right fit and finish no squeaks and rattles i mean this is these are really nice cars so you've got you've got some options there um you know it's too bad we don't have some of the european stuff like skoda and and Citroen and some of the other brands that are going, that are taking MEB platforms and some of the other VW and some of their companies, Stellantis lines and, you know, electrifying them because there's a lot of really good options that Europe has. So, um, so, I mean, you know, in that class, you've got the ID, you've got the uh, Onyx 5, EV6. I would still lump the Bolt into that um, because it's the affordability. Um, here, the Mustang starts at a very high price, the Mach-E, so it's, a, it's you know, hard to compare apples to apples on that. And then you still got some of the legacy, like the Neros, the Souls, um, the uh, Konas, if you're interested in those. I don't. I, there is an, an update coming this year for the Nero. Um, I don't know if it's going to have different powertrain, but I'm guessing that they probably will tweak it a bit, maybe tweak the batteries, make it a little bit more denser, have something newer, maybe a little, a little bit more uh, powerful motors to get a little bit quicker. But I thought the Nero, it was my 2019 EV pick of the year. And I have people going, why are you picking a Model 3? I said, well, because <laughs> the, the Model 3 has got a lot of eyeballs on it because it's sexy and it's Tesla and all that stuff. But, you know, the reality is, in my opinion, of that in 2019, the Kona was just a nice sized vehicle. Sorry, the, the Nero was just, you know, it wasn't too big, wasn't too small, had, a, had good dimensions, had really good, you know, decent range for it. You know, 300, like 250 miles at the time, 380, 400 kilometers decent fast charging and you just get in and go in these things you really don't and they're well equipped very solid built you know I re i've reviewed all these vehicles so it was my pick of the year now in 2020 i picked the model 3 because knowing that um uh, it was going to really surge from a sales and kind of take that leadership and that was really the thing that was going to kind of elevate the ev industry to the next level which it did um, and then last year, my pick of the year was actually a Chinese model was the mini, the Wuling mini EV, because here you had mm. a $5,000 US vehicle that's sold as almost as many as Tesla has sold model threes globally. And that's just in one country. Wow. So, you know, they're probably going to hit four, 450 to 500,000 units. Uh, I haven't seen December's numbers for them, but, you know, in a car that People are saying, wow, it's not that safe. And but for the market that it's designed for as an urban 
commuter and all the um, bells and whistles that you get from in China from having a, an EV, right? You get your license plates for free. You get all registration. Like apparently you have to wait like a, two years to get a license plate or something to a registration on a car. It's a big deal in China. Wow. Whereas everything is fast tracks if you get a what they call an NEV, a uh, new energy vehicle, something like mm. that, um, which is just their versions of plugins, right? So it's a so that motivates people to look at these, and it, it's what do I have? Do I get a scooter and boot around in a scooter in the rain, or do I get somebody that has windshield and air conditioning, right, for for, for the same money? So, so it, it it was a compelling vehicle again, kind of brought in some of the affordability, and I'm sure you guys are seeing that. There are guys like Candy that have come into. To the U.S., FinFast is coming hard this year to both your market and my market here. They're going to push real hard. Again, I don't know the quality. They're a younger company, so I, you know, all I know is that they've been building cars for BMW in Asia Pac for the last nine years. So they got something behind them. So these are some of the guys that are going to help bring that affordability down, right? Because if you look at, you guys talked about the 2022 list. A lot of those cars are pretty expensive, right? Mm -hmm. Cadillac Lyrics and, you know, uh, Hummer EVs and all this kind of stuff. They're not yeah. cheap, but these other guys are going to come in, you know, and bring some of that price points down. But then you do have values like the ID4 and others that are out there. So to give you, Brandon, a recommendation, I mean, I think you're in the right wheelhouse of looking at what you're looking at. It's going to come down to, you know, what's the best, you know, budget, what fits your budget, what fits your ergonomic needs, like, you know, mm -hmm. if you cargo capacity, Ionic 5 is a little lean when it comes to trunk space. Um, I haven't seen the EV6, uh, if it has the exact same trunk or not um, on those models. But so those kind of things, I think, are going to come into play for you. Hopefully okay. that helps, you know, because most yeah. people I'll yeah. say is what, what are your, what's your daily driving range? Like what's your, what's your habits? You know, do you need 500 miles every day? Okay. Yeah. Then, then go, go to Ford and buy a gas car or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a little longer. So hopefully yeah. that helps. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I still think the Ionic 5 is up there on my list. Um, top three right now are Ionic 5, Model 3, and then a Polestar 2. Yeah. Uh, those okay. are top three right now. Not in any specific yeah. order, but yeah. that definitely helps. Yeah. And, <laughs> Thanks, that, and the Model 3 speaks for itself. I mean, there's yeah. tons of people. You know, Alex, you have one. I'm sure you love it, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you're, you're smiling when you're thinking of it. So that's just inherent <laughs> with, with EVs. But certainly, you know, the Model 3. I mean, the biggest... Uh, thing that I get on my Model 3 is it's just effortless. It's just mm -hmm. an effortless vehicle, right? Don't really have to think about charging. Just plug it in every night, go to 85, whatever, 87% kind of thing. If I need to take a road trip, at least where I live in, in Southern Ontario and most of Southern Canada, there's superchargers everywhere and they continue, as you said earlier, to pop up all the time. So I don't really need to worry about road tripping. If I need to go somewhere for business or pleasure, we just do it now. Um, you know, like I, I'm going to go back to the fully charged shows and I was all ready to, to drive to Austin for this year, but then they've moved it to San Diego. So I, I got to think about that. <laughs> it's a longer <laughs> drive to San Diego than it is to Austin, but it's doable, right? You know, and something like that. And when you look at the Ionic and, and the EV6 and these vehicles that are now coming at, at, you know, at a base standard of 300 miles, that's a pretty good distance, right? Like, you know, people say, well, I need more, but, and I don't want to wait half an hour to charge, but you know, if you take a road trip, and I would say the majority of people do this, 
I, I can't drive more than two or three hours without having to stop. Like whether it's a bio break and a leg stretch or grabbing a coffee and a meal or whatever, you know, I need that 15 to 20 minute stop minimum anyway. Even if you stop mm -hmm. to pump gas and you get a coffee, that's going to take you 10 to 15 minutes, right? It's hard to just, you know, um, if you've got a, what, what we call a case of got to get their itis, then maybe don't look at an EV, <laughs> right? Get your gas burner and go get a diesel and go, you know, stop less. But um, for those that are interested in helping out the planet, then, you know, the full electrics, there's a lot of compelling choices out there that do provide pretty good charging speeds. And if you can find some of those ultra fast for the non-Tesla variants, um, they'll, they'll crank up pretty good. So, but with Tesla, they just make it easy. So that's one thing about you know, I, I look at the Model 3 as kind of like the easy button for EVs, right? If you use that analogy, because I just don't think about anything. I just get in and go. And, you know, yes, we've got Boombox and all these other cool things that we can do. <laughs> and I was freaking out my mom today with the, uh, the you know, the, the Darth Vader kind of voice uh, from Sentry uh, <laughs> Bow today, because we just got that update over the holiday update. So I was playing around with that. because your car is talking to me. I said, is it really? Yeah. You know, hiding in a corner. Um, so it's got some cool tricks, but it's just, again, it's just one of those vehicles. And I think that that's where we're going with EVs is that OEMs need just, just to build something that has enough range and a good fast charging and, you know, good charging curve to get you for road trips. But your daily use cases, you just get in, plug in at night and don't think about it. Just like your phone, get in and then just get in and drive the next day. You've got all the great tech and all the other stuff that come with it, the handling and performance and all the other safety elements, you know. That come with that so i think you're in the right uh, part of the marketplace looking at those models so um we just want to see what your uh what your interactions are like since you do a lot of outreach in both the us and canada what's the differences between the populations there and the reactions you have with people or is it pretty similar it's very similar because we are both driving culture oriented societies mm. here especially you know because we have such larger distances to cover in general uh, I, I'm sure I can say it for your area, but for here, people, it, it, because of the, the housing prices, you know, when you're into a major metro center, they get crazy. So people just mm -hmm. continue to go out and out and out to find affordable housing. So it's not uncommon for people that work in Toronto to be driving an hour and a half to two hours each way into work, right? Or, you know, mm. if they can take transit, great, but we don't have transit that covers everything. So, um, so we're used to, to driving as a culture, whereas in Europe, you know, a lot of places a little bit different where, you know, they're fine with a hundred mile range or something like that because they're not, they're not doing that kind of driving. So I think our, our wants and needs are very similar from a Canadian perspective than it is to us. We, we did, um, I think we were more into hatchbacks and kind of more economy type vehicles in the past than our neighbors south of the border were. But as I mentioned earlier, I think that that has changed because, again, the number one, you know, the best-selling vehicles here echo what's the best-selling vehicles in the U.S. are, and mm. it's SUVs and pickup. You go to a Costco parking lot, you know, nine cars out of ten are going to be an SUV or a pickup truck. And when I say SUV, you've got CUVs, you know, small, medium, large, got that whole range because there's just so many out there, and that's what people are buying. Um, so I think we have very similar needs as far as the public view goes. And, and even in Canada, it's because we're, we're that driving culture. It's that education awareness. Yeah, but, you know, like I drive two hours a day and, you know, you guys get cold temperatures like we do here. You know, it's not uncommon to get 
you know, for you guys, probably minus 10 F or something like that Fahrenheit, maybe minus 20. I mean, you know, when, when we get these um, Arctic bubbles or whatever they are that don't want to go away, <laughs> um, uh, we get that here too. And that, that can really be challenging, even on a, pro a product like Tesla, you know, it's not uncommon to see 40% range drop, right. In, in really cold temps. So having to understand that what's your worst, you know, on a worst case scenario, what kind of mileage can you live with? Well, I can live with, you know, I, can, I only drive 120 miles. Well, then you've got a large selection of vehicles that'll get you through that today. And it's only going to get better, right, as we talked about. So uh, I think our views are very similar. And, and when I do speak to people, it's very similar pushback. Well, you know, range anxiety to a point, but then charging infrastructure and then the price point as well, mm. because we haven't hit cost parity, as you guys know, and yeah. we're still several years away. I, I, you know, 2025 is what I'm hearing, but for most analysts, but it's still, we could be plus or minus a little bit on that. You know, yeah. I would love to see, you can buy here, you know, a fully loaded Civic for 30 grand and a very nice vehicle. Mm -hmm. And for 30 grand, you can't buy much of an EV if anything, no. right? So <laughs> it's it's a different ball game, right? And that's the perception. We need to talk to people, look at total cost of ownership and look at this other stuff. And if somebody's just flipping cars every two years, then go to the next person that isn't because an EV may not be the best choice for them if they're just looking at that, right? Or it could be. So I think our viewpoints, Alex, are very similar. Um, we are seeing adoption. I think we might hit six to seven percent as a national number here in Canada. I think you guys might be pushing closer to ten percent. I'm not sure for EV adoption. I haven't seen the final plug-in numbers yet. Yeah, I haven't either. Do you know, Brandon? Uh, I'm not sure. I thought we would just pass six percent yeah, last so, year. So I think we're getting up there. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we're very much similar. So and and again, part of it needs to also translate down to the supporting dealer networks right mm -hmm. so what tesla has their own and that's all they do so they'll preach be you know all electrics till they're blue in the face but we need the ford the gms and we need those local deals to buy in and we need them to stop marketing up vehicles you know, like the mach -E <laughs> story and stuff right yep. uh, but we need them to stop doing that because that's just going to throw a wrench into the adoption and, and smear the public perception of evs so we really need them to all get in line and i think that's going to shake out this year i think we'll see that that the guys that are really getting behind it are going to get behind it and start promoting it. So, um, so hopefully that answers your question in a long winded way. And I, and I, again, I, I go back to, I think the F-150 Lightning is really that vehicle that's going to surprise a lot of people. That's going to say, whoa, you know, I can still tow because most people, they got to pick up, want to tow something. They want to pull yep. or, or, or carry <laughs> something on them, right? So if they can do the same kind of things they could do before and have those options, which will slowly roll out, um, and then and then the consumer guys, they're a no-brainer. They'll say, well, geez, for fleets, like the money that we'll save on the operating costs over 10 years, like why wouldn't we, right? So I think that's what's really going to surprise a lot of people is, and I think it is, you know, like the Cybertruck is cool and it got a game, got a lot of eyeballs. And yes, there's a lot of reservations, you know, 8 billion or 80 billion or something they have on the book for that, uh, for orders in. But, you know, what's really the heart of the matter is that 150 and you've got the silver, the Silverados and the Denali's and, and the, uh, the, the Rams and all these guys are going to come out with stuff that are equivalent to the, the use case that a pickup truck uses today that what, you know, a farmer needs and a guy that's working on construction on the side and they need it for different reasons of URI. So it's going to be exciting here for that. Oh yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Well, 
Ken, before before you wrap up, can you tell our listeners where they can find you on YouTube as well as like other social platforms? Absolutely, yeah. I get to plug myself one last second for sure. <laughs> so, so my YouTube channel is it's easy to find EV Revolution Show. Just uh, type that and it'll come up on Twitter. My handle is at EV Rev Show. Uh, I am on Instagram uh, with the EV Revolution Show handle, but I'm very lax with Instagram. It's just a secondary. Twitter is my main kind of push when I'm not uh, when I'm not on YouTube. Uh, I don't have Facebook or anything, so those are really the main social platforms, and the YouTube channel is easy to find. And uh, uh, you might again, you might hear me on a local radio from here time to time here in Toronto. I'm on 6:40 once in a while, and uh, getting out there with EVS and talking to people at different shows and events too, and doing webinars and things like that. So, awesome. Well, Easy thank you so me. much, Ken. Yeah. yeah, it sounds like And it. I am on LinkedIn too, so <laughs> <laughs> under my real name. So yeah, for sure. If you got any notifications, I think both of us were looking at your profile. <laughs> so okay. we're, we're prepping for today. <laughs> yeah, you know, for, for, for work at LinkedIn, it really proves itself. And mm-hmm. I've been doing IT sales for 30 some odd years. So that's kind of what I do for a real job oh. and for my background. So the YouTube stuff is just, it's just I'm passionate about the movement and trying mm-hmm. to help you know, move the yardsticks forward on that. So do my, do my little bit. Yep. Cool. We'll go check out uh, Ken all over social media with EV revolution show. Thanks again for being on and uh, we'll catch you all in the next episode. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it.